Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Hospitality TV. I am your host, Rafael Peterson. If this is your first time tuning in, this is a show that was created for everyone that is connected to the hospitality industry in one way or another with the goal of interviewing leaders in the industry that have real life insights that can help all of us get better at what we do and achieve our goals. Now, recently, we've been hosting educational seminars followed by networking sessions here in San Diego. We just did our third one with Maurice DiMarino. He is the current beverage director for the Cohen Restaurant Group. Maurice has been a mentor to me. I've known him for over 10 years here in the city. He's had one of the oldest tasting groups in the city with some of the old school psalms here where we kind of all got together and begin developing some great relationships throughout the years. So we all owe a lot to Maurice and what he's done for the community. But this is a special presentation that he did where he breaks down the current state of the beverage industry as he sees it. So please give it a listen. Let us know what you think. I just have one thing I'd like to ask from you guys. I've been getting a lot of great feedback on these and people seem to find it very helpful and beneficial. The one thing that I would ask is that you share the show. If it brings you any value whatsoever or to you think it might bring someone value that you may know in your network or in your company or in your industry, please share it with them. That's the one thing that I ask. We're not asking for any money or charging anything whatsoever. We just want this to provide value to as much people or to as many people as possible. So please share the show and let us know what you think. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Raphael. Um, well, get started here. Uh, you know, uh, Raphael and I started like working on a project. How many years ago was that? It was way before COVID, and when we were doing the next level. So we started this thing called Next Level, and this the idea was kind of creating this kind of this thing. I think some of you guys in the room with us we were planning stages, and it just got kind of carried away out of hand. And we, so I think now that Raph has kind of brought it all in together, I think it's great to see what we're doing here today. So thanks for having me. Um, I want to go ahead and uh, my goal today is really kind of talk about the state of the industry. Um, what I do, I, I do a lot of traveling around the country. I do a lot of like big seminars where we do with large groups and stuff like that. And I take bring a lot of that information to you today that you might not get on a regular basis. So hopefully this is going to be helpful for you guys in your industries. I know that everyone's in a different place. Some people are working in restaurants. Some people are on the trade side. Some people are, 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 are working floors. Some people are managing restaurants in different, different states. So I'll try to keep it. Um, so it keeps everybody interested, I guess. Um, just about myself real quickly. Oops, where am I out here? This, my computer doesn't show. That's because I'm on the wrong one. All right. Um, so about me, I'm just uh, I'm the beverage director for the Cohen Restaurant Group. That's 24 restaurants, San Diego, two in Maui, and one in Long Beach. Um, I'm also teaching over at San Diego State. I do four classes there of wine classes. Uh, Sensory evaluation. In fact, I think he's been to most of them. Uh, uh, California wine class, uh, Spanish wines, and also South American wines. I'm also the chief spirits judge for the San Diego International Wine Spirits in competition. And then I do wine and spirits judging for a bunch of different competitions around the state, uh, which is a lot of fun. But all this stuff kind of like, I guess people, uh, Raph asked me to come here to talk to you all. How do I get to doing what I'm doing today? Because it's something that's, I guess, is people think of being the fun part of our industry, right? Um, but I'll give you the reason how I got to that. But it was because I had to really go and work at it for a long time and put a lot of time and energy into it. It wasn't just like over day, overnight. So I became certified sommelier uh, in 2007. 
I was working in San Francisco at the time and I'd moved to San Diego and I'd work with songs in San Francisco, didn't really think much about it. It wasn't a thing. It was like people were sommeliers and it wasn't like, we, no one really talked about it. It was, that, it was, just, it was I don't know, it was like there was a sommelier on the floor and it wasn't really interesting. I was ordering wines and buying wines for the restaurant, didn't think about it until I came here and my, my company says, I need, we need you to become a sommelier. I said, all right, well, what do I need to do? I, Looked it up, take a test, take the test, gotta become sommelier. Hey, that's, and then people ask, how did you become a sommelier? Who knows, dude, you guys don't, when you guys became sommeliers, you don't know, you just kind of like took the exam, right? It's like, that's what it is. Uh, same thing happened with Cicerone because we're, you know, we're in that change of like, uh, a lot of restaurants going to drink beer, I gotta become a Cicerone, so I went, took the test, Cicerone. Same thing with uh, Tequila Certified, went to take the classes there, and then I'm also an advisory board at different co conferences around the country, and also um, I did a lot of publications with uh, just writing, um, because that's kind of how I got my name out there, was writing, and I'll talk more about that at the very end of it all, because I think it's important to get into the nitty gritty, but give you an, uh, an idea of how I got to where I'm at today because of the things I put into it. But first, let's talk about our beverage industry, what's going on right now. It's a lot of changes in our industry, right? It's crazy. Uh, first of all, we know that COVID came in. So we're going to talk about COVID and what happened uh, post-COVID and where we're at today. We're also going to talk about the new consumer and the consumer awareness that we have to deal with today, which is not the same. It's completely different from how it used to be. Uh, and then we're going to break it down by wine, spirits, beer and spirits, and what's going on in each kind of category. And then I'll finish off with, the. I think one thing that's really important is demographics, something we don't think about enough in any industry, it's especially in, the, in our uh, restaurant industry. We need to think about demographics, and I'll kind of break that down as well. Um, first of all, post-COVID. So COVID, for the thing happened after COVID, a lot of low-hanging fruit was there. All this stuff was just hanging out there. People lost jobs. There was brands that no longer existed. There was, there was things that needed to be made. So mergers and acquisitions come around, right? All these big companies come in and start gobbling it up. Whoever wins in a downturn, whoever wins in, in, a, uh, in a financial distillation, the ones with money already, right? So that's, how, that's who won the COVID. They're the ones that came in, gobbled it all up, and it's, you see it continue growing that way. And prior to COVID, we know there was an idea of premiumization. People are already going to premium, premium products, but after COVID, we realized, what do we do when we've gone to premiumization? Well, during COVID, it was great because people had money. But now, as the inflation starts increase, where is that money? And do we still have premiumization? Is that still viable? So that's something that's still in the, the kind of being questioned right now. Um, but you know, a lot of us think about our favorite wines, the things we like to have in our restaurants, and the things we we stand behind, and we have a like, passion behind it all, right? But at some point, you never know. That's going to be gobbled up by somebody big, and does that stop being what it was at that point? Or do you no longer like it anymore? And do you no longer serve it anymore? We got to think about that a little bit sometimes and make that those decisions because, uh, you know, at this point, the way I see it, everything's going to be gobbled up at some point, right? And um, and it's just going to be smaller entities of larger companies throughout throughout um, our, our restaurants in our lists. Um, so I expect to see more cons consolidations happening and, and more price increases because as things consolidate, there's less competition and then we see the uh, price increase because now they control the price on that. So that's unfortunately where the direction we're headed to. Quantity of products now, you know, even before COVID, there's tons of wineries, there's tons of spirits, there's tons of products out there, right? There's, it's, it's how many actually fit on your menu though, right? Our menus are this big, right? It's a page. How much is gonna fit on your menu and how much is out there? Now, on top of that, how many people are out there selling it, right? 
And those people who are selling it, how many restaurants and how many uh, stores do they have to go visit? And how many things fit in their bags on a given day? So if you think about all the products out there and how many things fit in a bag in a single day and how many places you can see in a single day, it's this much, right? So you're only seeing, as buyers, we only see this much of the whole thing. And this much of whatever is out there is very, very little, but at the same time, can we afford to see it all? Can we really afford to grab it all, right? So we have to make those kind of like decisions. What is the most important thing for our business? What is gonna make, what is gonna be an important decision for me as a, as a buyer at a restaurant to make money in that restaurant or to be a viable for my position in that restaurant, right? And how do we decide those, those picks? Because it comes down to relationships. And unfortunately, there's a good side of relationships and the bad side of relationships. The good side of relationships is that you stand behind a product when you like somebody, right? If, uh, if JC comes and sells me Volcan and I like JC, I'm all about Volcan, right? And then all of a sudden, JC's no longer with Volcan, right? Uh, I'm gonna try another tequila now, right? Oh yeah, Volcan's not the same anymore. Yeah, it's changed. It doesn't change at all, but you've, you're, you think of it that way, right? And we've all done that, but it's gonna happen. So we, if we tie the product to the person that's selling it to us, then we're doing a disservice to our guests and we're doing a disservice to our restaurants. At the same time, if we're buying products based on uh, just product names, then we're doing disservice to our guests as well because there's some of those things that have product names that don't have anything behind it and need the relationship because that relationship also means the support you're gonna get on the back end as well from that. Are they gonna come in and train your staff? Are they gonna come in and do events with you? Are they gonna come in and do promotions with you, right? That's important as well. But what happens is that during COVID, we had a lot of layoffs, right? So we've lost a lot of those relationships. And a lot of things you probably now, you came, you, you try to find out what a wine used to have, you can't find it anymore because the vendor's no longer there or that the little broker closed down and another winery's doing direct and you don't want to buy directly from the winery because you got to do another invoice and all this different, different stuff, right? So it's important that when we're doing uh, this thing and looking at relationships is that, you know, build those relationships, but then make sure that those relationships go both ways. And one of the biggest things I see as buyers is we always think of the, as the, the seller to do it for us. They're working for us. They don't work for us. <laughs> the seller doesn't work for us, right? Right. Just like, like we don't work for our guests. We, we give our guests a, a experience, right? But we're there to help them get that experience. And our vendors are there to help our guests give the, uh, get that experience as well. So we're partners in this, right? So we got to treat our, our vendors as partners and we get the relationships got to go both ways. So when they need a little help, we got to give them a little help. When you need a little help from them, they should give you a little help as well. So how, how do you do that with so many relationships? It's kind of like having a lot of boyfriends and girlfriends, right? So it's really important that we, we kind of like hone in on those relationships and use them so that you can be a mutual partner, right? Someone is going back and forth with that with that vendor, right? That's really important with this. Um, and you know, in my position, I have to limit it. I just I can't I can't have that many relationships. It makes it very difficult when you have that many restaurants to really keep it honed in because it's so many different buyers out there, and every single buyer has a different mindset. And if they all do their own thing, then I can't guarantee the same support for that that vendor as I'm gonna expect from them because it goes both ways. They want volume and I want their support. And how am I gonna make that happen for them? So it's important to have that going both ways. And the three tier system is also important in that we've changed a little bit here as we've, uh, going out of COVID, a lot of rela uh, regulations changed. So that's kind of helped us out on the restaurant side of things where we can now you know, sell directly to consumers and things like that. I 
I, I hope you guys take that and take it all the way and, and keep going with it because that's the only way you make more money, just a little extra to your bottom lines. Um, but the uh, other idea is that we don't understand what the difference between the distributor, the supplier, and the wholesaler is sometimes. And as buyers, we always just think of the person who's selling the wine to us as the person who's the, behind that wine. Well, it's not. The person who made the wine is probably the one with all the money, right? They're the ones that has the marketing budget or the supplier, the person who imports it. Or then you have the distributor who their only job is really to get it from a, on a truck from one point to, to your, from one warehouse to your place, right? And so many of us rely on our distributors and what our distributors say. And our distributors really don't know shit, to be honest with you. It's true. It's true. They really don't know. They only know what's in their book and what's in their laptop. And after that, when it's no longer there, they don't know anymore, right? So we need to make sure that we're working with the person that actually has that connection, whether it's the supplier or the, the winemaker or the person directly related with that relationship with that particular brand. And we need to work with that. that uh, we need to utilize them to get that guest service, right? That high end guest service. And we got to bring them into the restaurants to do that with us. So think coming back from COVID, we're going to see a lot of changes and rethinking the way we go into it because now we have a new consumer. And this consumer is coming back with a lot more awareness, right? They have a lot more uh, ability to, to get information. We've seen that already since the internet, right? And it's just expounding every year, bit more and more and more, right? Um, here's a little slide that kind of shows you like, um, this is like the frequency of dining in, in uh, a, a beverage consumption in and dining establishments. In fine dining, you can see that in 2019, 59% people were consuming on, on premise, right? 2021, it dropped down to 48%. In 2022, it's 42% of beverage consumption on, on premise in fine dining, okay? And you can see that same thing happens across uh, entertainment, like those kind of like bowling alleys and uh, pool halls and things along those lines. Uh, there's like uh, independent restaurants, uh, hotel chains, and a casual dining. You can see across the board, it's been people's consumption of beverages have, has declined since 2019. It came back, we thought those would be really strong in 2021. They came back excited and everything, but they're not buying as much as they used to buy. And part of that is that, that premiumization, right? We've gone to premiumization. These are costing more and we're offering uh, a higher dollar amount for things now as we've, uh, our menu prices have gone up. So the, 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 the amount of being ordered is, being, is, is changing too. They've also got like more beverage chain uh, choices. And part of that is non-alcoholic beverages. You know, non-alcoholic beverages is something we should all be looking at in our menus. If you haven't done that already, you're behind the eight ball on it. Start looking at the spirits, start looking at different things you can do because that's money sitting there waiting for you guys that you can use and build those programs up. Because okay. there's that there is a consumer out there, and there's quite a lot of consumers out there that want that experience, but don't have an option to because they don't want to drink that day. So let's take advantage of it, bring it in. And then the other thing is what's in it. You know, uh, we're talking about additive-free tequilas, right? Uh, I mean, everyone wants to know what's in it, right? Why is the natural wine movement happening? Why? Because everybody wants to know what's in it, right? Has anybody have the Yucca app? You guys don't have Yucca? I do. You have it? Do you no. use it? No. No. I like the idea. 
<laughs> so the Yuka app is really interesting. It's an app that you can go, it's made for, uh, for, for makeups and also for foods. So if you just go, I go to Costco and I'm picking up my things for my kids and I'd go through, I, I scan the, the label and the barcode and it tells you what's in it. If it's, if it's good for you or not good for you. It tells you how much sugar is in there, how much sodium is in there. Uh, like if, if it's not good for you, it gives you another alternative of another item that's similar to it that might be good for you. So guests have this now, right? And they're thinking that. So now we, we had to start thinking about that as well. What is in it and making sure our guests know that, you know, and highlighting that on the menus because that's very, very important. People are gaining away from that. Also, the fact that, you know, in the EU, we're now having, uh, you know, you have to put the uh, what's in the wine on the labels, you know, so your labels got to have the, the, uh, the, the, nutri the nutritional information. Well, that's going to come to the States eventually. When the EU does it, it's going to happen here at some point. So we just got to get ready for that. So 44% of consumers that actually go out to dine decide on where they're going to dine based on the alcohol uh, that they're serving or the alcohol choices there. 44%, that's a lot. 64% of millennials choose where they're going to dine based on what they're drinking. So we have to keep that in mind. So when we're making our menus, putting thought into the drinks, the drinks is very important. The other thing is too, that consumers always battling this thing, price and value versus experience. What are they looking for? Well, after COVID, it was all experience. Everybody came back for experience. They don't care about price anymore. That wasn't an issue after COVID. They had money in the bank, they're coming out, they're spending their money. 2021 goes around and we're in 2022. And what happened now, Ooh, it starts dying down, right? But they're still looking for that experience. That's what they're looking for right now. And it's not, it's now, if you look at any marketing company out there that you see of like, uh, whether it's a makeup or a Pepsi Cola or, or uh, a camera or whatever they're selling to you, it's how do you, how does that item make you feel? It's connecting with emotions. And people are looking for the emotion connection because we've been so out of that emotion connection for so, much, for so long. COVID just took it all out of us, right? And now it's important for us to get back to that emotional connection with our guests. So focusing on experiences is where we're seeing that. And I'll say that because, you know, price versus value. What do you do on a slow night? What, what do you guys do like on slow nights typically? What's the, what's the typical thing the restaurant would do on a slow night? Well, cut service, sure. Okay, that's a way, that's one way to handle your PNL. But what else do we do? How do we bring server? How do we bring guests in on slow nights? Specials, deals, right? I'm gonna have the the cheapest beer in the block. I'm gonna have the cheapest uh, calls in the block, right? And what does that do for you? What's that? It lowers your value because the people who come in aren't the guests you really want in your restaurant anyways, right? Like you end up having a happy hour, late happy hour with somebody there and they're all a bunch of people who are just uh, kind of like drinking a lot and not tipping the employees. Their employees are upset. They don't want to work late nights any longer. They go to have to clean the bathroom because everyone peed all over the seats everywhere. And it's like, you know, that's like, it's, that's the kind of consumer you're looking for. But what should we do on slow nights? Let's think of it differently. Let's think of slow nights as being the time where we actually connect with people who actually came into our restaurant. So the slow night should be like the experience night. That's the night you're gonna go and just blow your guest away. You're gonna connect with that guest and they're gonna come back over and over again because that night you were there, you just gave them an experience that was un, uh, unequivocal anywhere else because you have the time to do that. So I would get away from the, the pricing and, and, and doing that and focus on that experience with that guest on that slow night because that's, that's where you want. You want that guest to come back. Uh, any questions so far? I'm going quick, so. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, so um, the, the, the idea is to understand what each tier is responsible for. So the producer is going to be producing the product. They're the ones with the finances. They're the ones that actually uh, are going to be investing to sell their product. They invest by that by hiring or importer or a, um, uh, a supplier to come and sell that to a distributor because we can't buy directly from them um, in, in the United States. So we have to go through, a, a, through the tier of the, of, a, of the distributor. The distributor is the housing unit, the warehouse. They just, that's your Southern, that's your RNDC, that's your breakthrough, that's the person you call and they put the order in, the truck gets from one point to the other, to, the, to, your, to your restaurant, that's that. And then the other one is you, the, the, the seller, the, the retailer. And of course, the consumer is the one that buys from us. So um, along the way is to understand what each each tier is responsible for, because a lot of times, you know, I, oh, I'm never going to work with so-and-so distributor ever again because, you know, they couldn't get their, their product on truck or whatever. Well, was it their fault or was it the supplier fault because they didn't put their PO in? Or was it because the, the, the producer stopped producing that, that, that SKU or for that year, you know, who never know? So you have to dig deep into it before you make those irrational decisions on what you're going to work with and not work with um, because it, it does happen that, <laughs> that, that we end up um, doing that. I'll give you an example. We did a private label. I won't say the, the name of the distributor. I did a private label directly with the supplier. Supplier says, I'm going to guarantee you this juice at this price point, and then we're going to be able to get it to you, and we're going to get it through a distributor, right? So I got this great deal on this wine, did it for my, my house chart, my house cab, and then um, then during the COVID situation, like things weren't coming to me anymore. They, just, they stopped, and I said, call the distributor, said, where is this wine? They're going, oh, well, they never put the order in. I go, who didn't put the order in? Well, they didn't put the PO in. So I called the supplier. He goes, no, the PO is in there. So they're going back and forth. And literally on email going back and forth arguing they're arguing with each other via email and the whole time there's the wine is sitting in a warehouse somewhere in california but no trucks are going to pick it up so they're it's there but no one's picking it up so i said okay i'm taking off the menus i didn't pre-purchase it so it didn't matter so now they're sitting on the private label wine they can't sell anywhere else because it's my label and it's sitting there in their, in their warehouse and then maybe six months later the distributor calls me and says hey maurice uh can i get rid of this and go yeah they go, I'll give it to you for two dollars a bottle. I'm going, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it all. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. You know, but that's their fault. But that's how you benefit from that, you know. But it's it's you know, that's with COVID, there was a lot of that happening, you know. Mm. All right, so with wine, it's interesting now as you know, sales are decreasing in wine. It's been like that since 2013, I know since the uh, economic downturn time, we've been seeing wine sales in decreasing, spirit sales increasing, beer sales were increasing for a long time, and now they kind of tapered off and start declining a little bit. Um, so a lot of those things, is, there's a lot of things out there, a lot of wines out there, a lot of people don't know what they're looking for anymore. What is what is good anymore, right? It's always difficult to do that. And people are, are confused. They're confused by the fact of what is sustainable, what is natural, what is this stuff, you know? How do, as a consumer, how do I understand this stuff? They're all looking for that, they all want that, but they don't understand it yet. What is organic, what is biodynamic, and all these different things are becoming a little more confusing for the guests. But at the same time, you can see in lean chains, these are like big chains in, in the United States. This is huge. In big chains, Bordeaux, Barbera, and Barolo are the, some of the, the most increased uh, sales in, across America. That one never was the case a couple of years ago. It was Malbec, it was Cabernet, it was still Chardonnay and Pinot Grigio, right? 
And now we're seeing uh, imports that are becoming much more important. That's that's a good sign for us. That means that if Middle America is drinking Borolo, man, that's great. You know, that's we're we're going the right direction. Um, same thing with wine, white wines. When Chardonnay was uh, was the top thing, we now you know your number one hitter on every one of your menus, and that's probably Sauvignon Blanc. It's like Sauvignon Blanc is the new Chardonnay, right? And with sparkling wine, Prosecco's there because of the because of the price value of it. But you can see that Champagne in general is also increasing in in sales as, as well. So we are seeing those things increase, but because a lot of things, a lot of these wines are going to premiumization. How many of you guys can go out to drink out to dinner and have a glass of wine for under sixteen dollars nowadays? Doesn't happen, huh? It doesn't happen. I remember when I go out, I always made sure my menus always had something in the nine to ten dollar range for people. Having a nine and ten dollar range wine now is ludicrous. It's, it's like no one you won't see that anywhere. The price of the wine doesn't increase, right? That nine ten dollar wine is not sixteen dollars, which is insane to me. I can't believe it, right? But the consumers are buying that. But what's how is that hurting us? They're buying less of it, right? They're buying less. It's hurting. It's hurting our, our, our suppliers. You know that's who it hurts the most. And for us as restaurateurs, our sales are. You know we have top line sales. We got you know five dollars more in the last one, but when we got one order of it, we don't get the second order again. So that's kind of the issue with premiumization where we're heading to. Yeah, we can sell higher dollar amounts. We can sell those two hundred, three hundred dollar bottles of wine now, but we're going to sell a whole lot less of them, unfortunately. Our guests become more adventurous, which is exactly what we want as sommeliers. So that's really important. And again, our guests are also in the whole thing of FOMO. They're always afraid of, of missing out, but they just don't know what they're missing out on and they don't know what that is. So we got to kind of show it to them. So as part of what we do in our menus is market to them and show them what they're missing out and why they're missing out on it. Right. That's the important part there of this of this part with wine. That's the way we make it move forward. With spirits and beer, uh, I mean, spirits has been surpassed beer and wine. It's, uh, it's uh, the, the, the leading uh, uh, category across the board and it continues to grow every year. Um, and as gentlemen who are both in the wine and spirits thing, you can probably see your spirit sales have increased over time as people are getting more into craft cocktails and actually looking at spirits. I think the consumer as well during COVID was able to drink more at home and they chose to drink more spirits and learn how to make uh, cocktails. That was something that they pass the time doing so we've seen an increase on that uh increase with tequilas and whiskey right now tequila is definitely surpassing well i never thought that vodka would ever be removed as the number one tier it has now been removed as the number one tier vodka is no longer the number one thing because the only thing people drink now is tito's so it doesn't matter and every other vodka is doesn't matter what you have um and then it's also uh, people are looking for that alcohol quantity. You know, how much alcohol can I get for the dollar I'm going to spend? When I walk into the restaurant, if I'm paying 16 bucks for a glass of wine, well, I'll do $16 in the cocktail there or a shot of tequila, right? Because my although the alcohol is the same, right? They're, 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 they think of it as being a higher uh, proof or more, more alcohol to them. So that's where we see people going towards that uh, uh, spirits. And also because it's experiential, they go into one restaurant to a different restaurant and everybody has something different, right? Their version of their margarita or their version of their old fashioned is going to be very different from one to the other. And that's what's making it experiential for them. So they're looking for that experience. Again, people come back to emotional dining. And then in the beer side of it, we just see beer just take tanking it right now. It's unfortunate because all that craft beer that was everyone's so hyped about, you know, five years ago, it's not the same anymore. Craft breweries 
dying are dying a uh, big part of that is the big categories rtd seltzers and ciders all that's available in all the retail markets so now as you're going to the park and instead of getting beer now you're going to grab a cocktail you know you're going to grab a, a a seltzer it's lighter you know um you're going to be going for lower abv more balanced drinks right you know getting away from that ipas and and all those kind of bigger style uh, of craft beers we're looking for those light things and um also there's a lot of competition so we're seeing that drop off you can see here, this little slide kind of tells you what the, the fastest growing uh, specialty drinks are. Sours are the top thing right now. Paloma is one of those things that's coming up that's really popular as well. Whiskey sours. And of course, um, you know, I think next year we'll have espresso martini on there, I'm sure, for, for a fact on that. Now, it comes down to demographics. So um, how many of you guys are as uh, how many of you guys are baby boomers here? Baby boomers? Gen X? Gen X, okay. Uh, it tells it tells you right here, okay. All right, all right. Well, if you're born, anybody born in 1965, okay, no baby boomers. 66 to 81, Gen X, okay. Then then we have uh, 82 to 99. Okay. Uh, all right, that's millennials, okay. And then uh, 2000 2020, no Gen Z here. All right, interesting. No, it makes sense though. Wait, who, who, by the way, I gotta take a picture though. <laughs> so, this is very important. I'm gonna give you a story about this. Um, back in, um, so you can see the, the size of, of the generations. That baby boomer generation, in comparison to the one before, it almost doubled, right? That's a huge increase of that generation. So, that was the biggest generation to, to date. When Gen X came, we were the smallest generation. Our generation was so small, we were the lost generation. We we're the slackers, right? No one, uh, we were like this kind of limbo, you know, not knowing where to go. Because uh, baby boomers had it all, they had the money, they still have the money. Millennials come in, huge generation. A lot of uh, uh, people in that generation, L uh, big time changes, you know, cell phones and internet and all these different things, ways of communications. It's like mind blowing, right? And now we have the Gen Z, which is the, it's also a very large generation. You can see it's already um, higher than what the millennials were has been consistently at this high, uh, um, high, high uh, every year growing, uh, uh, having people join that generation. They've just, uh, they just topped out at 2020. So now the Gen Z is our new drinker. There's uh, the, the 22 year olds right now, right? Um, what we have is, uh, there was a, uh, back in the 1980s, if uh, there was, motorcycles were a big deal. Right. Everybody was buying motorcycles, Honda, Yamasakis. It was you go anywhere. There was uh, everybody riding motorcycles everywhere. And Honda and Yamasaki were like, we're making money, man. This is great. And all of a sudden, 1990s came around into the early 2000s. And all of a sudden, their sales dropped. They go, oh, what are we doing? Got to start marketing, start marketing, start all these TV ads, Super Bowl ads, all these different things. And they couldn't figure out. Sales kept dropping. Marketing's increasing, spending more money on marketing. And it sales keep dropping. Well, why did the motorcycle sales drop out in the 1990s? What's that? Helmet laws? Helmet laws? No. Uh, helmet laws are already in the 80s. So the, uh, so the, uh, that baby boomer, that big generation was riding motorcycles in the 1980s. They're the 20 something year olds, right? 20 to 30 year old, 20 to 32 year old is a motorcycle rider, right? That's, that's your, that's your bread and butter. Huge generation. And they're all buying motorcycles, right? Gen X comes around. Well, our generation didn't have a lot of money. Our generation was a, a poorer generation and it was a smaller generation. 
But the crazy thing they're looking at, the economy was good in the 80s. Economy was really good in the 90s. Why is it that we're not selling motorcycles when the economy is doing so good? Because the generation was so low. Because the reason the economy was doing so good in the, 1980s, in the 1990s was immigration. We had a lot of immigration coming in through the 80s and 90s, and they were in our economy spending money. The economy stayed high, never dropped, but the sales of motorcycles were low because the, the people who were potential buyers of it, the, the core buyer of a motorcycle, that market group was so small that it didn't, didn't translate. Right, so that's where we see the this, the the way of thinking was we had to think about our restaurant, who is our diner, and who's in our restaurants, and how do we connect with that person. So, we have <laughs> this is really what it comes down to. You know, Gen Z is is the new drinker, and every every company right now is 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 doing all this uh, uh, work on trying to figure out how do I connect with the Gen Zer. What are the Gen Zer? Oh, they're drinking Zima. They're drinking like the uh, uh, seltzers. And I go back when I was 20 years old. What was I drinking? You know, what were you guys drinking at 20 years old? It was whatever was cheap, whatever was accessible. It was, yeah, easy, right? The only difference with this generation is this generation is looking for what's good for me, right? They're looking, they're already thinking about like the planet and all that stuff. That's a big thing for them. But they're, but they're just learning to drink, right? Gen Z is our employee. Gen Z is our, our, our worker. Gen Z is the server, the bartender in their restaurants right now. The ones that are learning to become servers and become bartenders. That's who the Gen Z is right now. So for us, we just got to focus on them as a workforce and teach them how to get into the workforce and teach them the restaurant business and get them excited about that. That's, that's, our, that's our person there. Millennials, man, they're crazy because there's a big generation and they're the ones out dining everywhere, right? And they're, the problem with millennials is that they don't go to the same spot every single time. They're always gonna go somewhere different, right? Always, there's no loyalty. They're always looking for something different, another experience. They always want to have a different Instagram moment. They always want to have a different, uh, uh, say I was here, I was there. It's the big FOMO, right, for them. So it's really hard as a restaurateur to track on that generation. But they're the ones that are coming to our restaurants and dining, but they're not the ones coming to the restaurants and spending a lot of money. Because the millennials don't have the same amount of money as a baby boomer. The baby boomer, uh, Gen, Gen X is <laughs> this lost generation, as I said, small generation. We now have kids in college. We have kids that are growing up and we have the money to go out and, and do all the, the, the things that we normally do in restaurants. We're looking at different sorts of dining. We're the beer drinkers. We're the ones that are looking for the, you know, we, we were experimenting with, with, with wines, but we were not, you know, ever spending a lot of money on wines, you know. Uh, talk to you know, Tammy and uh, anybody else who else is a Gen X here. Um, Besides drinking at work, right? When you get those things for free, do you go out and spend two hundred dollars on a bottle of wine? I know I don't. I, I don't. I'm just not going to do it. You know, it's like I can't afford it, right? I got a kid. I got to put kids in college, right? So that's that's a different that's a different uh, generation. The baby boomers are the ones that had the money. Baby boomers did it for us. The only reason we're in this room right now is the baby boomers let, put us in this room because in the 1970s, they're the ones that are just coming up, right? They're the ones purchasing. They're the ones that were watching the documentaries about how wine is good for us and how, you know, we should be drinking Merlot and we should be, uh, and then how we should be uh, 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 buying uh, Napa wines, you know? That's the generation. They were the ones with the money. They're the ones that kind of put dying in the scene. They're still the ones coming to our, di our dinners. If I do a, a wine dinner, it's all baby boomers, right? I don't have any millennials. Very once in a while, I have millennials. I don't have any Gen Zers, and sometimes the Gen X are going in there, but it's all baby boomers, but they're dying. They're not gonna last longer. So we're in a situation that 
It's true. <laughs> they're dying. <laughs> it happens. We all die, right? And they're the ones that are going to go first. They're the ones that have the, the, the know-how of the dining. And we got to figure out how to get, how to, how to, you know, keep the ones that are still around, but connect with these guys over here, right? This is the connection here. Forget about Gen X, okay? Forget about them. We got to focus on this, guys, and then now here. <laughs> No, the, the reason I say that is the, is, is the sustainability. It's the, it, it comes down again to the size, the size of the generation. It's not big enough to make a difference for your business, right? The, the, the changing your business is the big generation. Focus on the big generations. That's what we have to do. Because if we don't, it's just like the motorcycle thing. The, you're, only in that, you're only in that dining situation at a certain time in your life. And how big is that generation when they're in that, in that dining? Well, it's a millennial right now. Focus on what the millennial is looking for, right? That's what, uh, that's what makes you viable. Um, find their interests and connect with them on those interests there. All right. Um, solution for viability. You know, Raf asked me to dive into a PNL. I don't think I'm going to do that today unless you guys uh, have questions about that. But just to know your PL, for those of you that are not on the management side of things, your PL is your profit and loss statement. It tells you where your company is. And I think it's important for people to see a PL because you don't, sometimes you don't understand why owners make certain decisions. And owners make certain decisions that are based on their profit and losses, right? And if you don't understand how much labor takes uh, it takes to run a restaurant and how much labor takes into a PL or how much your rent or how much, uh, you know, uh, just the fact that you have uh, a restaurant and you have to keep the lights on, uh, how, how much that fits, fits into PNL. Um, when we think about it, you know, most restaurants that are doing uh, positive is 10% is like the, the standard, right? You're trying to get 10% of, of your profit there. So of your sales, if you're doing 10%, that's not a lot of money at the end of the day, if you put all the time and energy into it. So your restaurant owners are are in it they have their houses in there they have their 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 properties into it their their whole life stake is in there for 10 percent profit right it's not a not a big thing certain restaurants do a lot more and other ones do do negative which is a sad thing because we see a lot more negatives out there than anything else but the reason is that, uh, to understand your viability is you have to know your PL and how you, as that sommelier or that manager or that server in that restaurant, how you're going to make your owner ecstatic for you to be there and how they're going to push you to the next level, right? It's right here, the next steps, and we're talking about exactly what we're talking about. How, how, how do you justify your position to get more money in the restaurant? How do you justify to become a, uh, um, a, 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 a beverage director for your company, right? How do you justify that? Well, top line sales versus poor costs. It's the way of thinking we always think, right? Does your owner think top line sales or does your owner think poor costs? 
You got to know the difference because they all, some of them are confused. They don't, they all think all the same, all the same time. What does that really mean? Top line sales, how much money is coming into the door every single day, right? So top line sales would be like, for example, I buy this bottle of wine and this bottle of wine cost me $10 and I put it on the menu for $30. It's 30% poor cost. Not a very, it's a normal poor cost, right? Uh, but as far as sales, it's only $30 going to, to, the, to the restaurant. If I charge this for $40 now, now we're at 25% uh, poor cost. Lo he loves that, the sales got higher, right? But then what happens is that someone knows that bottle and they know that at $40, they could buy it at the store for $15. Well, is that, are they gonna buy it? No, so that means my sales drop down, right? So top line sales doesn't matter anymore. But when they buy it, my poor cost looks really good. But what does it matter? What, does your poor cost really matter? So for your owners, you have to understand what they're looking for. My owners, I wanna keep this <laughs> covered up. Uh, no, uh, they, 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 look at, they look at both lines and it's hard to manage a business when they're looking for both lines because I can increase the sales, but all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, but you had a 35% a wine cost on there. But we sold a lot of high-end wine that, that time, you know? And we got, oh, we, we sold another $1,000 extra that month just on wine alone, but the poor cost is a little higher, but the sales are there. So what's more important to them? Well, that's why we just showed in the P&L is you see how it breaks down. Maybe I'll just do this because I think that might be the best way of doing this. So these are your sales. Everything you put in for sales, every every you look at the prior year and then you see what your budget's gonna be at and then this is what your uh, actual sales are, right? So here's your PL. Here's a restaurant, this is a restaurant that's doing really well, right? Here's a restaurant that's doing really well. Last year they did three hundred and ten thousand dollars. This year they're they're at three hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars. That's the total sales. You can see as a percentage of sales, this restaurant's doing about seventy one percent of sales is food. That means they're probably charging a lot for food, so they're doing steaks and they're probably doing high end seafood and things like that. Um, their beer. Only 2.3%, not important. So am I gonna, as a, as a manager of this restaurant, am I gonna put a lot of focus on beer? No, not at all. It's not, not the only one to focus on. They're at 8.9% on wine. Well, maybe it can be viable, especially if we get, you know, wines that we can move forward. So you're at $34,000 during that month. But the main thing here is liquor. You can see 14% of their sales is devoted to liquor. That's almost twice the amount of wine, right? For this restaurant so whoever's running that restaurant they got to put some focus on the liquor and making sure that that line stays good while increasing the other lines right if you can make that happen that's great here's the cost of sales this tells you exactly how much you're i'm gonna move down from the meat and stuff and you can see the cost of sales here is how much it costs them that means these people bought um two thousand dollars worth of uh beer and and they sold it for the eight thousand dollars so they're at 26 percent uh, poor cost on that here they have wine. Um, this is the same thing. It's been nine thousand dollars. They sold it for forty. Uh, was it thirty-five thousand? They're at twenty-eight percent, uh, right? So your 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 owners are going to say, "Well, your budget at twenty-seven, your budget at twenty-seven, you hit twenty-eight. That's not looking good for you, right?" And if you're uh, a sommelier and your your budget your 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 um, bonuses on your poor costs, well, you probably didn't make bonus that time. But if you're bonused on top line sales. Look at your sales. You increased your sales. You brought $3,000 more to the bottom line, right? But the poor cost was a little lower, right? At the end of the day, the poor cost is not bringing money to the restaurant, right? The poor cost doesn't bring money. All the poor cost does is take away money. But if I can 
figure it out so there's more money in the top line, that's going to be important for me, right? And how much more money is going to be. So you can see here with the liquor, it's uh, $8,000. They spent less on their liquor than they did on their wine. That is why that the pour cost is so low. So doesn't it make sense as an owner that you're going to put more focus on the money I'm going to spend less on? I'm going to spend more, less money on liquor and make more money on it at the end of the day, right? So that's what owner is looking at. So how do you become viable in a restaurant like this? Well, as a sommelier, you got to be able to figure out how you're going to be working on all those lines, right? you got to be able to, how, do you, how am I going to increase my pork cost? I'll make that pork cost better without gouging the guests. At the same time, how am I going to make it so that my liquor line stays looking good, right? How do we do that? And that's, that's, that, that's the goal. And I'll show you a little later. We'll talk about that later. So at the end of the day, you can see now after this, after your, after everything you spent in the restaurant, after everything you cost in the restaurant for food and beverage and all that stuff, you're left with $284,000. You're left with 74% profit, okay? 74% profit. Looks good, huh? But then comes all the business side of it. Here's your controllable expenses. Look at payroll. $138,000 on payroll. 35% of, of your sales go to payroll. So... Here is a restaurant, and this is doing really good because it's post-COVID. You can see uh, the prior year uh, uh, at, at 30000 their budget at 41000 That tells me that they're short management. So they hit these numbers with less managers. So what does that mean for the management team? They're probably stressed out. They're probably working their asses off. They're, they're probably short two managers with $11,000 missing there. Maybe it's a sous chef. Maybe it's a, it's a, maybe it's a front of the house manager. Maybe it's a GM. Who knows? But you're missing managers there. So, yeah, it looks good in the, on there. But at 35%, well, your budget at 41, right? That's what your budget is supposed to be at. But they're working their asses off, right? And if you want to increase, right, this is like, this is a salary. If we had five managers on there, salary is $73,000 for that, the, those managers, $72,000 for five managers. Well, some of those managers aren't, aren't gonna work for $72,000, right? They gotta work for a lot more than that. So you can see that if we need five managers, and actually this is probably short a manager or two, we probably need six or seven managers, including sous chefs, right? That means that that increase there is probably gonna be another $10,000, $11,000. So you're gonna increase that, that right there. So when we look at the, the number, at the bottom here after more expenses, <clears throat> bank charges, credit card fees, uh, all the silverware you ordered, all the complimentary meals, everything that was wasted, any sort of rental equipment, any sort of like menu expenses. Well, they didn't do any menu printing that time, so they have to worry about menus, right? Uh, but if they do a menu printing, there's something, something breaks down, R&M. Like the year before, they spent like $3,000 on R&M. This year, only $1,500, so half on R&M. Maybe because the stove was working this time. But if it breaks down, that's another $1,500. So everything they're seeing, every every broken item in the restaurant is, is, is a deduction. Deduction, 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 deduction. Total operating expenses now is 46.9% right here. This line here, this is what so much we've operated on. Now, this is all the fixed expenses. We haven't got the rent yet. Now you have your rent. <laughs> so you're at rent, and this is a, a fairly good rent there. That's seventeen thousand uh, dollars for the rent, and there's a percentage of rent they have to pay um, on CAM. And then uh, we have accounting expenses. You know, your accountants and everybody else that makes things, your payroll companies and all that. So by the end of the day, this restaurant actually the EBITDA was eighteen point two percent. Great year, right? That's with managers dying on the floor. 
right? That's with probably, uh, you know, uh, nothing that broke or maybe it broke, but it got pushed into another period, right? So they don't see it that period. Um, but then here's a restaurant that made $69,000, right? $69,000, great for that owner, right? This is a, a good restaurant, right? Working overtime really hard. <clears throat> As a, uh, most restaurants aren't, aren't like this. Right. And if they're not like that, how do you how are you going to change those lines as 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 workers in the restaurant? How are you going to change those lines and be viable to get an increase? How are you going to be not making seventy thousand dollars? Right. Because right now, in order to do this and bust your butt, you're working seventy thousand dollars. And that's probably because they probably had less than five managers working there. So how do you do this for yourselves? Um, Let's dive into that here. So top line sales versus poor costs. Understand that, you know, there's a difference between there. But the most important thing is you need to diversify. Because in this ever-changing environment, there is no longer a sommelier on the floor. From now on, there is people who manage a restaurant and also run the bar program, run the wine program, do the beer training, all that stuff. And you need to diversify. So if you have not gone into learning about spirits, learning about beer and learning about wine, you're not viable in that restaurant, right? You have to be viable on all those lines, including food. You know, if you don't know your food, you're not doing your, uh, the restaurant a service at all. So you need to be able to diversify yourself and, and get away from just the idea of, of this is what I'd like to do. Uh, you need to start focusing on how you retain the consumer. How do you retain the consumer? What is it you're gonna do to retain the consumer? What are you gonna do to retain the employee and how you can create your worth? So we're jumping to these, these points here. First of all, diversify. This is all the different certifications out there, right? Go and do all these certifications, do them all, you know? Don't just sit there and say, I'm gonna become a master, uh, master sommelier. Unless you wanna be a master sommelier and you wanna eventually work as a master sommelier, then by all means go for it, man. But in this industry, there's no master sommelier working the floor, right? So it doesn't happen. So if, you, if you're trying to get into, uh, an, uh, into uh, a negotiate your salary, you need to have all those certifications. So then you're the one-stop shop for your restaurant, right? They don't need to hire anybody else. They'll give you that second salary to you. Retain the consumer. First of all, we talk about the slow times. Use the slow times wisely. Connect with the guests. Making sure that they ask for you by name every single time. They have to ask you for, by your name. Once your, your owner hears your name from people on the outside, it, it's more important than hearing it from the inside, right? That you can tell your owner everything you do, doesn't matter. It's when other people tell, tell your owner what you've done, then he goes, oh, okay. So making sure you're connecting with your guests and making sure they're, they're calling your name. Memorable experiences. Uh, one of the things I've been fo focusing on in my group is expected versus unexpected experiences. Every millennial right now, or every guest coming out now is emotional connection, right? Here I have <laughs> festivals that we do at our uh, restaurants. Here I see this girl doing uh, the, uh, the limbo at one of our, our margarita festivals, right? I guarantee after she won the limbo contest and won a bottle of tequila, she will always remember that restaurant as the place she won the limbo contest. It will stick for her forever. It's an it's a emotion that sticks with you forever. We have emotions all the time. The thing is with emotions, we only remember the peaks and remember the lows. So if we all have more peaks than those lows get forgotten. The middle ones are always forgotten. Every middle uh, emotion we have, everything that kind of was good, that was good. Oh, that was good. Oh, I like that. 
it's forgotten uh, a year later, right? The things that stick in your mind are those, those peaks. So we're going to focus on peak emotions for our guests. So I did things where I call this, I get with my vendors and my, my suppliers and I use them to help me build these out in my restaurants. Expected and unexpected experiences. And expected experience is very simple. How many of you guys have open table systems? Open table or some sort of like a reservation system. Okay? So a reservation system, on the reservation system, you put an experience on there that is pre-ordered. So it's something like right now we just started oyster month. So we're doing a bottle of champagne with six oysters. The vendor's paying for the oysters. It's they get a bottle of champagne for $120. They get oysters included. It's expected. They're, it's already done. It's an expected experience. It's, it's, sales are already in there before they walked into the restaurant. They already ordered it when they come in, right? That's an expected experience. We do build those expected experiences. People go, oh, making a reservation. Oh, they also got this going on. Oh, great. They have a flight happening or whatever it might be, right? Unexpected are the stuff I'm really excited about. Unexpected are the things that I'm doing at the table side that I empower my, my servers to do. Like all of a sudden you're at a table and you someone's enjoying bottle of Volcan and guess what my server comes up and goes, hey, oh, you like that Volcan? Great, yeah, it's very good. By the way, uh, check this out. This is something that JC, the Volcan rep, gave to me. It's a playlist of, of the music they listen to at the, at the distillery and it's a QR code to the Spotify playlist. The guest connects with the server, the server blows the guest away, the guest, it's probably not a big deal, it's not a big thing, but the guest goes back and they put it in their car and they think about the restaurant and they think about the experience they had. They share it later with a friend of theirs, you know? Um, how, how do I, pr uh, presentations, we talk about, you know, are we doing magnum presentations of the restaurants by the glass, you know, things like that for wines. You know, wine's really difficult for this because there's not a lot we can do with wine unless you're doing the, the table services and all that sort of stuff. But most restaurants don't have access to that sort of thing or the, 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 the labor to make it happen. So how do we make those things kind of viable? So we gotta get creative. So what I did is like I did presentations like uh, special menus like this QR code. There's a QR code. You go on the QR code. You uh, you take the uh, the the pops you to a little quiz, like those you know BuzzFeed quizzes you do. And the BuzzFeed quiz goes and it says uh, it's a woman in wine quiz. So it's a it's a woman winery, and uh, and it tells you like which woman are you, do you like? Uh, do you like? Michelle Obama, do you like Taylor Swift and all that stuff? You pick your choices. Then goes the next thing. What color uh, is your best color? You know, all these different things. Personality quiz. By the end, time, end of the five questions, it brings you to the wine that we selected for you. So, you know, by the personality, there's the wine from that woman winemaker. It's a Sauvignon Blanc because they like more happy style things or, you know, like Taylor Swift or Michelle Obama is a little bit more like this red wine, you know, and all these different, different things. But the guest walks away as having an experience in the restaurant that was unexpected right they got how do they order their wine is they've paired it to their personality so things along those lines where you got to create those those uh, those things <clears throat> events those events we bring guests to our restaurant you know not everybody has the room for them all but if you do take advantage of it and make your you know make your make your take ownership of those events so then your owners say oh not only does he work the floor, but he also did this extra thing we never did. We brought in, you know, an extra five, six thousand dollars that afternoon to the restaurant. Um, these are some things we've done in the past, you know, wine classes, cocktail classes. Guests love this stuff. They, to sit in a, rest, a group like this and do like a tasting of, of Burgundy with your guests and you leading it. Not only it forces you to go and do some research and learn the stuff, and then you teaching it, you learn even more, and then your guests think you're a freaking all-star. 
And they come and talk about you. And all of a sudden they're talking about, oh my God, Maurice did this thing on Burgundy. And then your owner's here and they go, oh my God, and then how much was $2,000 around in that day? And it was, a, it was a day that we're closed during lunch and we used a room like this and we did a seminar or we did a cocktail class. You know, we did a, a, a Mexican spirits class, made cocktails with our guests. Blown away by that stuff. They'll always remember that. COVID now lets us sell wines, lets us sell spirits. This, uh, so <laughs> my first wine sale, it was at Adam Prime and it was, uh, we had a bunch of wine that was left over from uh, 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 previous menus that we had. There were like some, it was 97 vintages of California that we had tons of stuff left that were just dying, right? Cause that vintage you all know didn't last very well. And so we did is uh, I did a wine sale. And what I did is brought all the wines from our sellers and all the restaurants, brought into one room. And in two hours, we sold $33,000 of wine. Of just people walking around, we open bottles, pour it and everything like that. That was kicked it off. My owners were blown away. Oh, we got to do this all the time. So of course, doing this all the time is really difficult. It's a lot of work, but doing it once a year, it makes it, you're bringing extra revenue to your, to your restaurant. Your guests talk about it. They look forward to the next time it's going to happen again. And then it makes you look like an all-star again. Okay. Uh, interactive creations, you know, uh, people want to do things in the restaurants. They're no longer just want to come and dine. They want to do things. So we do things like flowers and blossoms or bubbles and blossoms where you make flower arrangements and drink wine. You make succulents and drink tequila. You uh, do cocktail classes. I mean, people want to be interacting. So if you can spearhead that in your restaurants, you're just getting to bring people in and have an experience that normally wouldn't do. Right. And then trips. Go out there and, 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 and travel. Got to get out there and see the world because when you come back, you have more knowledge and you share that with your employees, you share that with your teams, share that with your guests. It's going to be, you know, it takes you to the next level. One thing I do is I do the trips for my guests. So right now this month we're doing Paso Robles month where we actually are giving away a trip to Paso Robles for a two night stay for our guests, for two people at each event that we do. We're doing five wine dinners at each wine dinner. They're going to win a trip to Paso Robles. Easy. The wineries take care of it all. They want their guests there. They take care of it all. And we look like all-stars because we gave it to them, right? And so that's what we're trying to do is, is, is how do you get those guests engaged again? Yeah. Always charge for them. Like Always charge for them. Always charge for them. The only, one I, the only one I don't charge for was the wine sales because uh, they're gonna be buying the wine there. And usually what I like to do is give them some wine to taste and they end up, you know, the more they taste, the more drinking, the more buying they do. But no, charge for it, because that's the only way you make the revenue. If you don't charge for it, it's, 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 it's unless someone's paying for it for you. You know, sometimes the vendor might pay for it all. You know, they might do that too. Um, but the thing is about the employee, it's retain our employees because the only way any of this can happen is if we can get the uh, our employees to get our backs and, and making sure that they're, um, uh, you know, engaged as well. So training, uh, I think that's kind of when I was in the restaurant and on the prime was I was really doing a lot of training and doing training with other restaurants that are coming in, uh, tasting groups that we used to do. The tasting group was big for the sommeliers in San Diego. So it brought people to Island Prime and my owner's heard about it and I knew it was happening. So it was the idea that there's education happening that's gonna to lead to sales um, and keeping your, your guests, uh, your employees engaged. So I try to keep my employees engaged. Employees are moving around all the time. And you know, I, I can, I'm saying something to SOMCOM. I do things for them where I can get them engaged. 
It doesn't work. No, not all the time. They end up leaving, but good for them. They should move on. Everybody should grow, right? So I don't hear, I don't hold that against them. But it's, uh, it, but it, I know that they, they look forward to this sort of stuff. So things that we do, for example, here I took them to Oaxaca, where we make our own mezcal. We actually do the harvest there. We we crush. In fact, this is the uh, the mezcal that we make for our restaurant group. So this is what they they get to uh, have that experience and talk about. Um, we did a, a beer with uh, Women on the Mission, a Mission Brewery, where it was only women to pick the style of beer because back in the day you know it's all men doing the brewing and women had no choice so let the women do the brewing they made their own beer and we did woman on the mission uh we do like uh um uh, volleyball tournaments or uh here's we have uh, one of the one of the winning teams of the, the volleyball tournament we do bar competitions we want to make sure they're engaged and employees are, are are feeling part of something you know create keep them there um invite them to like tastings like if uh oliver crumb does a luncheon somewhere and they're inviting the buyer there well have bring an employee with you you know that makes it's huge for them you know it's like they'll remember that forever um they don't get invited to that all the time and make their work uh, experience memorable so when they're in the restaurant you know when you're hiring employees you know make that interview like a wow you know we all it's there's certain times in our life that we make choices and changes and new jobs are a big change so that new job has got to be like a big experience it's got to make them remember that forever they come in like you know asking questions so let's say uh here's uh, like you're, as you're interviewing the, yeah uh, the employee like ask what kind of coffee they have in the first day have that cup of coffee for them from starbucks or whatever it is you know making their make them connect with you emotionally that's the other part is we need to connect with our employee um call them out on their birthdays you know send them newsletters call them out all that sort of stuff so how do you create your worth well, first of all, selecting wines is not a job. Sorry, it doesn't exist. I know that everybody wants to be sommelier because they're going to be the person to select wines. There's very few people out there that have that job, okay? And good kudos to them. I don't. <laughs> I don't have that job. Um, working the floor is tiring, you know? We all work the floor. The only reason I'm in my job right now is because I worked the floor, but I put years of working the floor, and I was bored. I was so bored. What I would do, I would come home early in the mornings, I would wake up and I would write. And I would write my blog. And I, someone told me to write a blog. Why? Because people want to hear about your wine experiences. No one wants to hear my wine experiences. People want to hear your wine experiences. I didn't know that. I had no idea. And the moment I put it on the internet, it was all of a sudden like the truth. <laughs> it was like, no matter whatever's in writing, for some reason, it's like everybody believes it. And I was making up I was making up shit in there. It was fun. I was having fun. I was making jokes. Have you ever seen my, my, my wine blog? It's just, it's just like me interviewing Michael Jackson or, or uh, uh, me interviewing Tupac Shakur on his wine choices or things like that are just stupid, right? But people thought of me as being, now I'm the expert. Like, I became an expert in wine without you know, ever thinking of myself as an expert, right? Because I wrote about it. But I was so bored in the restaurant. So if you're bored in the restaurant, do something else outside of it and, and bring it back into the restaurant. Um, you need to show, that's how you can show your value, but the only way to do it is be creative because nowadays things are changing and you gotta be moving with it and just be the person, the first one to do it, do something differently, right? Approach it differently. Teach those around you and then build them up, okay? So as, as you're talking to employees and, and you're talking to your, your bosses, always talk positively about your employees. Tell them how great those employees are doing because the moment that you tell somebody how good somebody else is, that person's gonna look at you and say, oh, well, you're the one that taught them, so you must be really, really good, right? 
might not be. They're probably better than you, right? But because you're saying it and they've seen you saying that, then you're, they're going to they're gonna have a different uh, uh, vision of you. So that's how your owners are going to see that, you know, talk your staff up um, and connect with your guests. We said that already. And the last thing is social media. Um, I didn't understand how important it was. I, I don't do it anymore as much as I used to. But back in the day when I did that blog, I was really into it. And I was on Twitter and I told Tammy, get on there. Right. And you said, oh, why? And we started doing it, all of a sudden. Guess what happened? People start following you, start asking you questions and all of a sudden like it opens up this world like all of a sudden you're an expert and it's like well i'm not really an expert but okay but it, it led to sales and your ownership sees that and people know that they're following you and they're asking for you that's important and that is it thank you